Hey guys, welcome to Strategize 2. I'm Crow, and I'm here with Vicarious. Hey guys, I'm Vicarious, the second voice of this channel. You've never heard me before, but I'm going to be here to talk to you about the reflective cycle. Absolutely. So, yeah, as you said, we're going to be talking about the reflective cycle in depth today, and we actually made a main video on our main channel uh, about the subject, but we're going to be going in-depth on the subject and have a bit of a deeper dive into the subject in this video. This series is going to be a bit, little bit longer than our usual content, um, and as always, there's going to be timestamps for you in the description. So if you feel like coming back to this at a later date, then uh, feel free and use the timestamps to uh, exactly. get back to where you left yeah, off. Don't, don't feel the need to watch this entire thing in a single go. Uh, or you can just have this sort of in the background while you do your day-to-day -day tasks. But yeah, let's get to uh, the reflective cycle. So take it away, Vic. So in the main video, we don't really give you a, a dictionary definition. Uh, so I thought we might start this podcast out by just giving that. Um, the reflective cycle is a cyclical system of analysis to help improvement in your actions or specific areas of gameplay. Basically, it's a system where we analyze our actions and come up with, uh, and come up with ways to optimize our improvement. What's important to recognize here is that the reflective cycle is basically what our brains already do when we learn something. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So when it, whether you're learning to play a new instrument or playing a new sport or learning to drive or doing anything esports related, it's this is like the reflective cycle is basically the process that our brains go through. Anyways, we're just our goal right now is basically to just optimize this process as much as possible. Yeah. And one thing to note there is our brains do this subconsciously, and we can optimize it by doing it super hyper conscious exactly. and then slowly perfect it over time. Yep. One of the thoughts I've always had were. Why can some pros almost instantly come up with reasons why something went wrong? Like, for example, if they're playing a game and something goes wrong and they lose a round, they can almost immediately snap and be like, hey, I know why that went wrong, because X, Y, and Z. And next round, we should change X, Y, and Z. Most people aren't able to do that on the spot immediately. So we're going to be learning the reflective cycle, which is going to be a slow and deliberate way to analyze our actions in games and scenarios in games. And as we do this more and more and more and more, we're going to be able to do it more sort of semi-consciously or uh, more intuitively and quickly in games. Yes. In the main video, we talk about action, reflection, and adaptation. And we show you a flowchart with a lot of uh, smaller steps underneath that, but we don't really go into any of those steps. Yeah. In this video, our goal is to really do a deep dive into every single one of these things, give you all the things we, information we know about the topic, and give you some more tips that really got started on this. Yep. As Vic said, uh, basically, uh, the reflective cycle boils down to action, reflection, adaptation. You do an action, as in you do something in the game, you then reflect on that action, you analyze the situation, then you adapt and change your actions in the future. And that's essentially what the reflective cycle is about. So let's move on to action then. In action, you can kind of uh, see action as an order of events. So four different distinct processes that generally we go through when we do something. Before we do something, we generally come up with some sort of goal, right? We have a goal before we do something of that we want to achieve, which might be something like get a kill, plant the bomb, etc. Once we have that goal, we come up with uh, some sort of method by which we're going to attain that goal. In other words, what are we going to do to actually achieve the goal of get a kill? Probably white swinging, right? Around the corner, something like that. Once we come up with a choice of play, so the method by which we're going to get the goal, we actually do the action. We execute on the action. The execution phase is then followed by the outcome of like what happened. So we start with a general goal. We then come up with a play that we want to do, a choice of play to get that goal. Once we do that choice of play in action, we have an outcome in, on our hands and we can answer the question of did this outcome uh, 
essentially follow on from the goal that we had to start with. Yeah, you can kind of see the choice of play as the ID you had and the execution as the button presses you actually did. So exactly. what, what did the ID look like and what did we actually do? To start the reflective cycle, we need to choose an action that we're actually going to reflect upon yeah. and analyze. Uh, there's many different uh, actions that we can choose. In the main video, we follow Henry through a very basic sort of standard action, uh, but there's so many more things that we can choose from, and we kind of want you to uh, we kind of want to give you a, an idea of what other things you might be able to analyze using yeah. the reflective cycle. Um, I like to break actions up into macro and micro actions. Macro actions are actions like a rotation, like uh, did you rotate on time? Did you rotate too early? Should you have even rotated in the first place? But also, like even more macro, did you select the right agent for this map? Because that agent selection is an action in and of itself. You did something, and we can reflect on that choice. We can reflect on that action. Uh, my corrections are more the traditional things we might um, see as mistakes or as good things, like uh, a gunfight, missing your shots, um, your swing distance, whether you chose the right peak, in it, for example. Yeah, things like that, whether you should have, uh, you know, switched to your sidearm in that moment or not. But apart mm. from the actual size of the, I guess, macro or micro decision, you can also analyze an action by looking through the lens of whether it's a positive or negative thing as well. What I mean by that is most people have the idea in their minds that they have to analyze a negative aspect of their gameplay to improve them. That's not really the case, though. You can also uh, analyze good parts of your gameplay so that you can embed those good things and do it again in the future. Don't fall into the trap of, hey, I just need to analyze my mistakes and then improve them. Yeah, no, just also look at the positive things that you did too and try to do that again in the future. So, yeah, this is very yeah, this is very overlooked. Um, I When I started using the reflective cycle, I found myself only analyzing mistakes and mistakes and mistakes. It took me like two years before I realized, oh my God, I can also use this exact same system to embed positive things into my playstyle. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's gold because now we're not just looking for mistakes, which can also be very demoralizing if you're constantly looking for your own mistakes and mistakes exactly. and mistakes and mistakes. So also being able to focus on some good aspects and think like, oh, that was amazing. I should do that more often. That you can do that as well. You can use the reflective cycle to embed those habits into your gameplay. Yep, exactly. And at the beginning, it's going to be a little bit difficult to try and sort of uh, pull out different actions that you did in the game to analyze, right? You might be like, hey, okay, I, I understand what you guys are saying, but what kind of actions should I actually analyze? Yeah, as I say, it's going to be tough to start with, but one of the easiest things to do in the beginning is just going to be looking back at previous games, right? The most recent game you played, pick out the biggest mistake you made, for example, and just follow along that. As you do this more and more and more, there will be some decisions that kind of almost pop out at you so that it's going to be way easier to spot these kinds of actions to analyze in the future. Alrighty, so moving on to the reflective phase, uh, the first thing that we need to answer is what happened, right? We've chosen an action uh, that we want to analyze, now we need to answer in detail and objectively what actually happened. Don't just gloss over the step, don't just look at it at a service level and be like, okay, X, Y, and Z happened. Actually really deeply try to understand what actually happened to have a detailed uh, mental representation of this answer. Yeah, when I uh, reflect on my own actions, I really sometimes, especially on difficult actions, I like to write down what happened. I like exactly. to literally say, okay, this is the first thing that I did. I did then this. Uh, my enemy reacted this way. I did this. And therefore, the outcome of the scenario was this. And this is especially important when you reflect with your teammates. 
um, not only can this give you a different perspective when you do it on your own, right? You can look at this action from a more global perspective. But if you do it with teammates, he has, uh, your teammate has a different perspective of the, situ- yep. the scenario that played out and you have a different um, perspective. You need to make sure before you start reflecting on this scenario that you're both on the same page. You need to find out what actually happened and agree upon that before you move on. Exactly. You need to have an objective standard by which you're both coming in together and analyzing the scenario rather than one of you analyzing one uh, perspective of an action and the other one analyzing something completely different. You need to agree yeah. on it first. You need to understand that humans, uh, generally speaking, are very egocentric, right? We, we see the entire world through our own eyes. I mean, that's just natural. We don't see things from other people's perspectives, like in the literal sense. We see through our own eyes. We go through our own day-to-day lives uh, with our own senses, my own touch, my own smell, my own eyes and ears. Mm -hmm. And I don't generally see things from other people's literal perspective. So you have to sort of take take a step back and understand that other people might have perspectives on the action you're trying to analyze in a way that you might not be able to on your own. So ask them, right? Just ask people, what do you think happened? And try to come up with a more objective standard by which you're, uh, I guess, looking at the scenario. Yeah, to quickly illustrate that point, uh, there was a study conducted by uh, on research uh, paper authors, which is very funny because uh, uh, yeah. obviously like they're super professional and whatever, right? But when they asked um, those same um, researchers, like, hey, what percentage of the research paper do you write? And or they what, asked what, that- What's on... your percentage contribution to the paper? Or something yeah. like that? Um, and it was on a paper with multiple authors. They asked all the authors the same question, and they added the percentages together, saying like, okay, I did so much, you did so much, and mm-hmm. right? They came to 140, like 140% every single time on average, right. which is ridiculous, right? You, like th- That means that every single one of those authors overestimated how much they contributed to the research. Exactly. Um, which is, I mean, kind of natural, because as I said earlier, right, we're all egocentric, we see things through our own eyes, we don't really see all the effort that other researchers might have done in that situation, we just see our effort. So it's natural yeah. for us to overestimate what we're doing, because that's our entire perspective. But yes, yeah, it's it's, it's imp- really important to basically not fall into that trap. Just ask people yeah. if you need other objective data to analyze the scenario, clip uh, a VOD, for example, clip a scenario... Yeah. Use the in-game replay system. Just use something objective that doesn't just require your own perspective, but has a more objective standard to it. Yeah. Next to this, there is you can also get really tilted from the outcome of certain actions. Before we start analyzing, it's very important that you uh, take a step back and get rid of this tilt because this tilt will cloud your mm. vision and cloud your reflection. Um, one way to deal with this tilt is to make sure that you allow yourself to fail. And that's easier said than done. But uh, one of the ways that I've realized, like, okay, yeah, I should allow myself to fail. Because I was always very like, oh, I need to have it 100% right. Like, why yep. do, am I still making the same mistake a billion times? Um, realize that y- your, you have, sorry, realize that pros have failed more than you have even tried. Exactly. That, that is such a I key. Just inst- actually, just think about that for a second. Like, your entire gaming career right now, the amount of tri- times you've tried any give- given thing pros have not only tried that many times they've failed that many times yeah. so you have to allow yourself to fail that's how you improve yeah without all those failures they wouldn't be what they were exactly. right now so just yeah maybe that will help you uh, we'll do a dedicated episode on tilts in the future yep okay now that we've answered the first question of the reflection phase which is what happened and we have a really solid understanding of what happened in a scenario we now have to answer what should have happened instead right what 
was the ideal thing that should have happened. Did we do something that's good? Did we do something that's bad? The way we do that is by using the model and mirror. And do you want to take over that, Vic? Yeah, these two these two phases, the what happened and what should have happened, are both uh, are both arms of the same model, model and a mirror. The model and a mirror basically um, describes a a way of analyzing a scenario where you have the actual what happened. That's what we just described, and it's very important that you're super super honest here and mm-hmm. um, that you know what you're doing. And then you have the model. You need a model, and the model is the ideal situation. To develop the ideal situation, we should look at um, what other people do. We should look at what pros do. We should look at research, like uh, YouTube videos on certain things. We cannot really know if we did something correctly if we don't have an ideal vision in, in our minds, right? Right. You need to have, basically, as we said, the model, the perfect scenario. Then you look in the mirror and say, what's actually happened? What was the difference between what I did and what the ideal situation was? That's yeah. essentially what the model in the mirror does for us. And like Vic said, it's it's... It can be painful to be honest with yourself sometimes, to be like, I really did mess up there, but it's very important for this step to be honest. Yeah. Right, moving on from that, let's take a step back again and try to analyze the goal that we have, right? As we said earlier on, you can have micro and macro goals, but let's try to define this a little bit better. When you look at the action that you've selected that you want to analyze, take a look at what the actual goal you were trying to reach, what that was. We don't just mean, hey, okay, what were you trying to achieve in the micro sense there? Like, uh, were you trying to white swing out? Were you trying to plant the spike or whatever? But rather, really take a step back and answer the question, what were you really trying to achieve with that, right? You, you can find this out by asking yourself why, 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 right? Why did you white swing? Okay, I want to get a kill. Why did you want to get a kill? Uh, because I think the man advantage, get like getting back the man advantage in that certain scenario was the right play. Okay, why is that? And if you keep asking yourself that, you'll eventually realize, okay, I have a solid bit understanding of what my macro goal was and then yes. well, how my micro goals can be deduced from that. Exactly. And essentially what you need to answer is, is what you're doing right now helping you win the round or win the game? So how do we actually analyze whether our goal is actually a good one, right? We take a few steps back, we ask ourselves why, 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 and why, and then we come up with some sort of goal that we have, which is, say, I want to play more aggressively this entire game because the enemy team seems to be very defensive. How do we analyze whether the overall goal that we have for this game is actually a good one? To start with, it's super important that you have an intention in the first place. If you were running around the map without having any specific goal, you were just doing stuff, uh, it's very hard to analyze your actions. Exactly. Um, if we don't have a reason for doing something, we can't really hold ourselves accountable for doing that in the first place. There's nothing to really reflect on or to copy in the future. Yeah, you can only go so far with analyzing your actions if there wasn't really a reason for, for why you did the action, right? The only analysis you have there is, well, I didn't know why I did that, so let me not do that again in the future. But if you have an intention in game, right? If, For example, if you ask a pro, why did you do X? They will always be able to give you an answer mm-hmm. for that, right? They will never say, uh, I, I don't really know why I peaked that or why I did X, Y, and Z. If you're finding yourself not being able to answer the question, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Why did I do that? You really do have an issue that you need to really address. You need to yeah, play with the intention. First thing. Uh, yeah, like Crow said, you need to really start with a hypothesis so you can test that later. You need to have a form one goal. Start with a, like, a, like a really macro goal, like, okay, I want to play aggressive this round. And then start playing aggressive and see if it worked or not. And now at least yep. we have something to analyze. Exactly. You have an intention that you played with and now you can analyze whether that intention, that hypothesis was correct or not, right? You have it's way better to analyze that than to analyze something where you have no idea why you did it. 
Right, so now we have an action that we want to analyze, right? We've chosen the action, we've looked back, we've asked ourselves a few times, why, 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 why? And we have a goal for that action. So why did we want to do that action? We have the goal in our minds. Now we have to look at the choice of play, as in what did we do to be able to achieve that goal in the moment? Yeah, did the choice of play get us to that goal? Is it by performing the choice of play, yep. is that the best way to achieve the goal that we want to achieve, right? Uh, this is a very hard question because your choice of play, whether you made the correct choice of play, is something that pros will not agree upon. Yeah. If you ask two pros what the right choice of play was for a given scenario, uh, they will no most likely not agree. Yes. This is because they have conflicting philosophies. Though they might on the surface level agree with why they think, you know, a decision was good or choice of play was good or not, there will be things they disagree on simply because they have different game philosophies. This will always be the case. Whenever you improve in game, you're not just improving your actual mechanical gameplay, your mm. peaks, your movement and your aim. You're also improving your mindset and philosophy, your decision making, right? Yeah. Um, this is super important and sometimes overlooked aspect of gameplay, but your game philosophy is constantly being shaped by players around you, but also by what you but also what you found working and what you found um, not working. Yep, your experiences in game will definitely shape like what kind of philosophies you have in the future. Like constantly when you're playing, you will always be evolving your overall game philosophy. Yeah. Um, it's super important to uh, get a good philosophy because this is what basically determines your decision making, but also your reflection. Yes. Getting a good game philosophy um, is, is tricky, but there's certainly things that we can do to, to sharpen it. A good game philosophy is obviously super subjective. We can't really say which one is the best or whatever because yep. we might have different goals. If your goal is to have fun while playing, you're going yeah. to do different things than if your goal is to win. But we can see what philosophies generally work and which don't. Because Assuming you want to reach a specific goal, right? If your goal is to become the best player and become a pro, there are going to be certain things that we can say objectively, yes, these kind of things are going to be better, assuming that you want to reach the goal of being a pro, for example. And when we look at pro games, they've had thousands and thousands of games, uh, and we can see that certain cams emerge in a, when it comes to philosophy. These pros have tested different philosophies over and over, and a few seem to be the best and winning. But these are not all the same. Not every pro has the same philosophy. Yep. But we can identify camps. For example, there will be a bunch of pros who kind of have the same type of philosophy, a little bit different here and a little bit there, but they'll all mainly focus around time management. They'll really play for time or play for the bomb uh, plants and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. There's also IGLs or pro players that prioritize opening, creating openings and going for opening kills, playing for opportunities. Playing for opportunities. Yeah. yeah. Both these camps are valid because otherwise they wouldn't be there. But that doesn't mean that one philosophy is the best one, which is saying there's a few philosophies overall in general that are really good um, and they've te been tested time and time and time again. What we can do is listen to pro interviews, especially IGL interviews, and uh, where they where they go over what they find important. They'll, they'll give their arguments and their reasons for why they uh, prioritize certain decision-making, why they prefer certain strategies. And um, by listening to that, we can get an idea for ourselves which we agree with or which we don't agree with. Exactly. The point of this isn't to copy and paste like uh, other pros' game philosophies. It's to understand their reasoning behind choosing specific game philosophies and implementing those kinds of, uh, I guess, uh, methodologies and those kinds of rationalizations to be able to make our own game philosophy. Yeah, you'll find yourself gravitating towards one uh, philosophy and sharpening that philosophy over time because that just better suits your current play style already. Yep. 
or you're just more um, familiar in calling it. Some pros will recognize like, hey, maybe this philosophy is better, but they're just not comfortable calling that type of philosophy. So they'll let somebody else IGL, if you understand what I mean. Exactly. Yeah. So go- coming back to the question of, hey, was this choice of play that we did to reach the goal of, uh, say, get get a kill, was this choice of play correct? As we said, it's difficult to answer it. But based on your game philosophy, there are a couple of things you can do to answer that question reliably. One of those things is RRE. That's an acronym that we made in our mid-round mindset video that we'll be linking below, uh, which basically stands for reliability, reward, effectiveness. What we mean by that is to be able to analyze whether a choice of play was good or not, try to look at the reliability of that decision, that action, and the reward of the action and decision. By looking at different uh, tools that we can use to evaluate decisions, and by using a multitude of those tools, we can get a pretty good idea um, which one is the best one, even when we're starting out. Like Crow just said, risk and reward is a very good one. Reliability is a very good tool to use, but also complexity is something that's often overlooked. Right. If you have a really, really solid play, but um, you can't reliably pull that, pull that off, you, it's too complex to really get it into your system, uh, that might not be the right choice of play. It might not be the optimal choice of play. Yeah. It may get the best result when performed correctly, um, but if you have to spend weeks and weeks to practice it to in order to just get it correctly with your team, and if some minor detail changes, it entirely falls apart, then hey, it's not reliable. You shouldn't be yeah. going for that sort of Maybe your time is better spent you know, practicing 10 other things in that same time span, and that might actually improve your overall gameplay even more, right? RRE is just a tool, right? Look at the reliability of a decision, the reward of a decision, and then come up with an answer of whether the action was good or not. But if your answer is this action was really good, but to be able to actually practice this, the complexity is so grand that you'll be neglecting other aspects of your gameplay, maybe it's not actually the best thing to do. Yeah, so what we're saying is these are some tools, there's more tools, which you can all use to analyze your action, uh, to analyze the choice of play through, uh, and slowly and slowly develop your um, philosophy to understand which was the best one, which was not the best one. Yeah, as we said, if you want to learn more about RRE, take a look at the mid round mindset video that we will be linking below. And yeah, we're going to be having an overexplained episode on RRE yeah. as well soon, so look out for that. Okay. Alrighty, so we've now identified an action that that we want to analyze. We've looked at the goal of the action, whether the goal was good or not. We've answered yes, the goal was good. Then we've looked at the choice of play and said, okay, the choice of play was also pretty good. Now we look at the execution of that choice of play. We're not just looking at whether the choice of play in theory is good, but what did we actually do in game? What buttons did we press? Did we actually execute the intention, the, uh, the choice of play correctly? That's what we need to analyze next. Uh, here again, we can use the model and the mirror, right? We need yeah. to know what a perfect execution looks like, and then we need to compare what we did to that to in order to answer the question, did we execute on that correctly? Uh, what helps here is, um, especially sometimes uh, gunfights can be super quick, uh, and I might not realize what I did or why I lost that gunfight. So if I encounter a scenario like that, I'll clip the gunfight and I'll look it back in slow motion and see, okay, oh, I overstepped. Oh, I missed my counter strafe. Yeah. Oh, my, I overflicked, right? And now we know what the I know what the perfect model is. I know what the, what what, I, what should have happened. I know what happened, and we can compare them and say, okay, the execution was wrong, and it's wrong in this way. Here's what's lacking. Exactly. Yeah. So as we said earlier on, objective data is king here, right? Clip, uh, as, as Vic said, the, the gunfight that you want to analyze execution-wise. Talk with yeah. others. What was their perspective on the situation? Talk talk with your coach or your IGL, right? Look at the in-game replay system, right? All this kind of stuff to analyze the execution of of an action. Um. What's important to note for this entire reflection phase 
But we talked about whether the goal was good or not, whether the choice of play was good or not, and whether the execution was good or not. All of that will come with time. You will get a deeper level of analysis um, by doing it multiple times. You won't be super deep in in your reflection the first time, Mm -hmm. but um, you will go from, oh, I just missed my shot, or oh, I just lost my gunfight, to no, no, hang on a second. I um, overstepped here, or oh, my swing was too far wide. All of that will come with your level of play because the better you are, you'll already be subconsciously more aware of micro mistakes you're making. But also by just being able to reflect more, you'll be able to see other things and you'll be able to uh, reach, um, you'll be able to recognize patterns better. Exactly. So not only will will your actual gameplay improve as you do this more and more, but your actual analysis will improve too. But something on day one that you might not have been able to see, like your, I guess, left side flicks or something like that, you'll be able to, on day 100, for example, be able to actually analyze that and go, okay, let me go a bit deeper. What was my left side flick off? Like, was it too far, too little? What did I do? Yeah. So now we've actually identified what was wrong with our play. We can start to form a conclusion. We can look at whether the goal was correct or not. We can look at whether the choice of play was correct or not and whether we executed correctly on that choice of play. And if any of those answers is no, we know the conclusion, right? But this conclusion can actually entail a bit more information so uh, we make our adaptation phase easier yeah the conclusion should contain three things what was wrong what was supposed to happen and how are we going to make that happen this third one is vital exactly and we have to make sure that we're not being half-assed about the first three sections which is the uh, analyzing the goal analyzing the choice of play and analyzing the execution it's if if you do act half-assed about the first three sections of that you're basically building a house of cards, right? You're not. If, if you build upon these bad sort of presumptions about the first three parts, getting the conclusion is not going to be ideal because the conclusion is going to be based on wrong assumptions, meaning your conclusion probably won't be helping you as much as you'd hope. So the first three things, goal, choice of play, execution, you really need to hammer those home before you can move on to the conclusion. Yeah, because otherwise you might be start to... If you get wrong conclusions, you'll start to embed wrong habits into exactly. your gameplay or even get rid of right ones because you yep. came to the wrong conclusion. So make sure you, you really take your time with this for the f- first few times. Yeah, and don't just point out the mistakes that you made, but, it's like, but understand why they were mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. It's very easy to look at a clip that someone has said and say, okay, that's what went wrong, that's what went wrong. But why are they wrong things, right? We have to, again, look at the goal, choice of play, execution, etc. But yeah. This first thing of the conclusion, so we have what went wrong, uh, what should have happened, and how do we make that happen next, that, that last one, that how do we make it happen next, we call the training plan. The training plan is where we decide, okay, I am going to do um, aim training for this many times a week, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, it's important that we choose the, the correct practice methods, and we um, plan this out and think about this before we start practicing. So we need to be realistic about this training plan, right? We, I mean, we might have this sudden form of the spark of inspiration at the start and be like, yeah, I'm going to practice my aim seven days a week, four hours a day, right? In the in that initial spark of motivation. But is that realistic, right? Be realistic about the, the dates and times that you set for your specific training sessions. Add times and dates and be specific about those things, which are going to be that you're going to be likely to actually commit to, right? Mm-hmm. Don't just say on a Saturday or 4 p.m. I'm going to do it. If that is not going to actually be something you'll be able to stick to yeah and, and the tip that i always give here is um if you go into schedule times make sure that you also decide what you're going to spend less time on in your day exactly. you only have 24 hours if you spend eight hours on youtube and you don't want to um 
like reduce that time, you're not going to be able to just create 25 hour a day. You need to be able to, if you say an hour of aim practice, also decide, okay, I'm going to watch less TV or, oh, I'm going to watch less YouTube. Yep, absolutely. Unless it's strategized, of course. In that case, never reduce that YouTube time. So let's talk about how do we choose the correct um, practice method for the scenario that we've identified. So the adaptation phase is basically where we're at right now. We've looked at the action, we've, we've reflected upon the action, we know what's wrong, and now the adaptation phase is going to take those findings that we've found from before, and we're going to make a training plan to be able to improve on those things, optimally. We believe that all forms of training basically get split into five uh, basic sort of forms of, uh, of training. The first is isolated practice, then there's cognizant gameplay, there's expert-led practice, education, and then psychological, or if you want to be fancy about it, operant conditioning. We'll go over all of these right now. Yeah, in the main video, we only covered two of them. Uh, right now, we have the time to really dive a little bit deep into each one of them and give you some examples of uh, what they would look like and uh, some tips on how to properly implement them. And even this is not going to be fully, uh, you know, in-depth. We're going to make a, an entire video dedicated on these uh, trading methods, which, yeah, you should look forward to. It's, it's a really, really big topic. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, the first one, isolated practice. This is, isolated practice is a really interesting form of practice. Aim training is a good example. Um, the main concept of isolated practice is that you can focus on one specific skill. If we're just going to hop into the next game, you're going to be thinking about a lot of other things that are unrelated to the mistake you've just identified. Yeah. And therefore you're going to spend less time and energy practicing that one mistake. If we isolate the practice onto this one specific problem, we can highlight that problem and make sure we fix it. To give Second, a sort of example for that is like, if you want to practice your aim, it's better off going into the range and actually, you know, practicing your aim for 10 minutes instead of going into a, you know, full on rank match, right? Because in the rank match, you'll only be practicing your aim a couple times during that game, right? But if you actually go into the range and actually practice your aim directly, you've now isolated what you want to practice, which is your aim. The thing that Crow said there as well is a second real key thing of isolated practice. You want to make sure that you can guarantee the frequency of the scenario. So like with aim, if we want to practice our aim, um, we can either shoot a couple of guys per round, which is like maybe seven, like maybe 20 in an hour, uh, or we can do a, a lot of bots in the same amount of time because we can guarantee the frequency of that scenario. The same is true for, for example, lineups. You can go into the next game and practice your lineups every single round by buying the yep. utility and that kind of shit, but it's probably better to go into a custom game and practice them there for a bunch of time um, so you can guarantee the frequency of, of the scenario. And then the third concept is you, you need to make sure that you don't care about the outcome. You only care about whether you did it correctly or not. You don't care about, oh, did I lose or win the round? Exactly. If we go into a custom game, we can really focus on what we're doing and see if, if that's the thing that we're improving uh, rather than uh, caring about the round and thinking about, oh, I need to win this and uh, therefore foregoing your uh, actual practice, maybe even skipping on the thing you're trying to improve to do something else uh, to make sure you win the round. We can yeah. If we make sure that we can just not care about that, we'll improve a lot faster. Exactly. Just think about it for a sec. If you want to improve on lineups, like Vic said, it's way better to go into, the, into a custom game and do it there. Because number one, you'll be focusing specifically on that instead of many other things in a, in a ranked game. Number two, you'll be isolating specifically what you want to do and guaranteeing the frequency of that being very high during your training session. You could do basically 10 lineups in a minute. Number three, you don't worry about uh, 
something that you're losing, like your ELO, for example. This is much more time efficient and sort of uses your mental energy that you have much more efficiently. Yeah. The second form of practice is cognizant gameplay. This is where we do go into the next game, but we do really focus on this specific area. For example, when I'm practicing positioning, your positioning practice is really hard to do that in a custom game with friends. Yeah. Um, so I like to... You kind of yeah, do need to play games for that, yeah. So I like to just get going to the next game and then really, really, really think about my positioning every single round. I'm constantly asking myself questions like, okay, am I, is my position correctly now? Is my position correctly now? Um, I will still be caring about the game, most likely. It, it's a little bit less effective than isolated practice, but uh, overall, this is still a, a good form of practice. Yeah, you're just being hyper aware, essentially, of the thing you want to improve while you're in game, right? You, you're caring a little bit less about all the other stuff during the game. You're kind of making this one thing that you want to improve the priority of the game. You're being constantly cognizant, constantly hyper aware of this one thing during game. Next up, expert-led practice. As mentioned in Anders Ericsson's uh, book, Peak, uh, where he covers a lot of different tr- kinds of training methods and, and processes by which athletes can get better at what they're doing, Practicing according to established training routines is very important, right? You need to remember that before you, there have been thousands and tens of thousands of players, right, who've gone through the exact same journey that you have. Instead of trying to come up with everything from scratch on your own, look at established training routines. Look at what the people before you did and try to essentially stand on the shoulders of giants. Try to uh, improve yourself based on their prior knowledge and their prior findings. Yeah, the best analogy I can give you here is um, Isaac Newton spent, I think, like 20 years, maybe more, on developing calculus. But the average student can learn calculus in a couple of years by going through the examples, the exercises, and practicing it on their own. That You don't have to come up with every single uh, thing that he derived. You don't have to be as smart as Isaac Newton to be able to come up with this if you follow the expert-less practice. Exactly. You look up experts that came before you and essentially uh, take their guidance. An example of this is like playing a game with a guy who's a lot better than you at the game, right? If there's a diamond player that you want to play with, right? That's great. Do it, right? You're going to be learning a lot more playing with that person than you will someone who's a silver, for example. So learning uh, from people who are way better than you, who are maybe experts uh, when compared to you, Mm -hmm. is a great thing. Yeah, and if you have the time and resources and you're really dedicated, um, doing um, one-on-one coaching with a really high player, there's a bunch of websites who offer one-on-one coaching. That can be very valuable. Yep. All right. Next up, education, right? It's not just about what you do in game. It's also what you do outside of games that can affect your, uh, your your overall gameplay. Just learning stuff about the game is very good, right? Though you might have exited out of your game, Valorant, CS or Rainbow Six, if your time is spent learning about these games in some fashion while you're outside of the games, you're still improving. You could even see it as some sort of uh, still a way of practice, right? One of the best ways we can improve the model from the model in the mirror uh, is by educating ourselves exactly. on what the model should look like. There's a bunch of professionals already uh, in our field that you can basically look up, hey, what does a perfect thing look like? What does a perfect lineup look like? What does a perfect white swing look like? And educate ourselves on what, what those things entail. And then we can practice them after that in isolated practice in the in the range or whatever. Yeah, there are lots of pro streamers on Twitch and YouTube, right? Just watch their streams, watch YouTube videos and guides and all that kind of stuff. Just educate yourself. Yeah. And lastly, we have psychological conditioning, which, if you want to be fancy, like in psychological terms, operant conditioning. This, in behavioral psychology, is where you strengthen preferable behaviors and diminish unpreferable behaviors by associating the behaviors with rewards and punishments, right? It's about the the, the carrot and the stick, essentially. 
One example of, of uh, operand conditioning that we can use in esports is unburning of your reload key. Yep. When I used to have a problem where I immediately rela- uh, reloaded after every yeah, kill I every, got. Everyone has that issue at some point, right? You yeah, just, I you think so. Have a gunfight, just reload literally as soon as that and someone peeks you and kills you right there. Yeah. So what I did is I unbound my reload key and every time I pressed it uh, as a habit press, my brain was like kind of panicking because I wasn't reloading. And I was like, oh my God, what the fuck is happening? Um, and I was forced to look back and reflect upon my actions and I was forced to really see, okay, do I need to reload right now? Do I actually need to reload? Um, By punishing myself a bunch of times and also just making sure that the scenario um, is highlighted to me, Mm -hmm. I was able to get rid of that bad habit. Essentially, the more and more and more you do it, you just condition yourself not to press the reload key because you press it, nothing happens. That's sort of a negative feedback to you, right? Kind of like a mini punishment. So you're less likely to do it again in the future. And you keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. If you get no response from your R press, right? Your Mm -hmm. reload press, eventually that's going to go away. It's going to become extinct, that behavior. Yeah, Um, just to clarify, we didn't actually unbind it. We rebound it to like, I think I rebound it to O, uh, something so far and so far removed from any other buttons that I have that it had to be a super conscious press every single time. Exactly. And when we say punishments, we don't mean literal punishments that you should do because i mean it's it's been it's been found in many papers as well that uh, mm-hmm. positive reinforcement is a lot better at getting preferable behaviors than punishments are so don't punish yourself uh, from the classical sense per se just try to be a little bit more smart about the way that you uh, condition yourself in these things and rewards generally are going to be a lot better uh, of a format to have mm-hmm. operant conditioning in your gameplay. It might sound cringe, but something as simple as complimenting each other uh, in, in a team when you do good stuff is a good positive reinforcement for good behaviors, right? Why do you think pros fist bump each other after every single round, for example? Why do they, why do they say, nice try, nice try, after every single round, right? If Even if they lose. Positive reinforcement is essentially going to be yeah. very good for improvement. The reason they do that is morale, but it's also for this, exactly. When, they, yeah. when you get a nice play, people saying, oh, yes, nice job, right? Uh, that will actually uh, psychologically exactly. affect you and uh, that kind of thing. So if you optimize that, it might be cringe to do that in the beginning, but if you mm-hmm. optimize that with friends and you try to, to really do it, you, you will find results. Trust me. Absolutely. So we've covered the five practice methods that we uh, listed also in the video. Um, what's really important for you to realize here is that the adaption phase is about op- choosing your optimal way to improve. We're really trying to find what things to do right now to to optimize our improvement yes we can probably just go into the next game and we'll improve a little bit as well after reflecting but by choosing one of these uh, training methods you can really 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 speed up that progress yeah so instead of taking everything that we've said so far and trying to implement all of them at the same time try to specialize in one thing or maybe two things at the same time right specializing at these things and then being really good at something then moving on to something else and specializing on that is generally going to be a really good form, uh, sort of a format by which you can uh, basically have improvement. Yeah. Don't try to um, work on your aim, your positioning, your rotations all at the same time. Yeah. Take a week, fix your rotations. Take a week, fix your aim, or and you know, keep aim training regularly on the side, obviously. But really but focus, focus. on it. Yeah, and yeah. Then, because you'll you'll do yeah you'll make a lot more progress by splitting it up instead of do, trying to do everything at once. Exactly. So now that we've actually found an action that we want to analyze, we've looked at how to improve the execution by using the different training methods. But what if the problem is your, like I said, the goal or the choice of play or your intention to start with, right? The first two steps, the goal and the choice of play. What if those two are off? How do we actually improve that? There's not really anything 
there's not really a, a sort of a practice method you can go through like you can with aim training to improve your mm-hmm. intentions right in game that's that's a bit of a thing that you that's sort of a philosophical thing that you come up with on the spot so how do we practice those well we use reminders this is a topic that we brushed over in the main video but it's actually super important when you have the wrong intention in your mind and you want to fix that you need to remind yourself after every reflection so what this actually looks like is i do the play I make the wrong intention. So for example, I'm in a clutch scenario. Uh, this is something that actually happened and uh, th- the way I fixed it. Uh, I was constantly in 2v4s or whatever, 2v3s. Mm-hmm. I was not playing with my teammate. And every single time I would die uh, on my own and then realize, oh, I should have played with my teammate. Oh, I should have played with my teammate, right? By reflecting and pointing it out and making it very obvious, Vic, next time, play with your teammate. If you do that enough times, it eventually will be ingrained into your gameplay. Yep. It's it. I mean, that, like a two v three or like a two v four clutch scenario. It's not really something you can really simulate in a in a custom game with friends, yeah. right? I mean, you might argue, yes, you can. You can have two v fours, two v threes, but you're not really going to be simulating the stress, right? The the sort of uh, the, the the mindset and the pressure that you have present in an actual clutch situation. So to be able yeah. to actually uh, really hammer down on the intention and practice those every time it does happen in game in true game scenarios. Mm-hmm. You just have to remind yourself again and again and again, like Vic, Crow, play with your teammate, play with your teammate, play with your teammate, so that next time it happens, you're more likely to play with your teammate. To add on to that, it's not just that we can't simulate the pressure and the the stress in that moment. It's also that the problem literally is we can't think of the solution. We can't think of this play when we are in that scenario. Um, Yeah, like if that's literally the issue that you can't think of it while the clutch situation is happening, you can't practice... If you if yeah. your practice session, you're literally thinking about it when you're going into the practice. Yeah, exactly. the problem is that you can't do that in game, so this it's difficult to practice it. Like if if you set up a custom game with friends, you already have the solution in your forefront, in your mind. Uh, the, the what we're really looking for to do it correctly uh, five games from now when the scenario comes up naturally. We exactly. want to be able to remind ourselves and know the solution then. That is why we can't use isolated practice because we can't set up custom games. When it comes up naturally, we want to be able to guarantee that we do it then. This is not optimal. We we might want to think, oh, isn't there something else we can do? But no, not really. We yeah. really just, the only thing we can do is remind ourselves and remind ourselves and remind ourselves until it embeds into our playstyle. Yeah, I mean, so all these training methods are going to be useful, but for some things like intentions and reminders, you can't really do that in, in actual custom games. You just have to remind yourself when these mistakes or plays or whatever happen in game. Uh, there is something we can do. We can make the reminders super obvious and elaborate. Um, when I do a reminder myself, it's not just, oh, I made the mistake again. No, it is vicarious. Next time, when X happens, do Y because of Z. The X being the Q, so when something happens, when, I, when I'm when i in a 2v4, like the example I said, or um, do Y, the, the action that we want to do, so the choice of play that actually correct. Because of Z, the reason is just as important because if we don't keep checking ourselves on the reason... Um, we might start ingraining bad habits. Always question, is this correct? Is this correct? Is this correct? Do I have the right reason for this? And that comes back to philosophy, comes back to lenses, comes back to the choice of play. But when X happens, the Q, do Y, the action, because of Z, the reason. As we said, this is something that'll be strengthened over time uh, in your mind as you do this more and more and more, and it'll manifest itself into your gameplay, right? It'll be internalized inside you and you'll be able to do it a lot easier in game. Yeah, and it might take like 10 times. You'll make the mistake like 10 times and only then the 11th time you'll do it correctly. That is fine. As long as we point it out super obvious to ourselves, it will eventually get into our systems. 
Yep. One last thing to note about reminders is you also can remind yourself on positive things, right? You can say next time when um, I, I can literally use the exact same thing. Next time when X happens, do Y because of Z. Yep. When I do something right, when I have like a really cool play that I found out or just by accident or maybe, or I just uh, like um, my instinct tells me like, oh yeah, that's a good play. I can ingrain that play into my play style by using reminders as well. Next time when X happens, when, when this scenario arises again, I do the same thing I just did because of this, because it worked, right? Absolutely. Next time this, for example, push happens from the enemy uh, over here, using this flash on this specific corner mm -hmm. works really well, so do that again, right? That's going to be a sort of uh, positive reinforcement reminder. Yeah. Okay. So now we've basically finished an entire reflection loop again. We've yep. been through the entire reflective cycle. We talked about how to choose a specific action. We talked about how to reflect on that action in a lot more detail. We talked about uh, the adaptation phase, about choosing the correct um, practice method to go with the mistake you found uh, or the positive thing you found, right? Um, and we talked about reminders, which is something that we overlooked in the main video. Now let's talk about some other things about the reflective cycle that we couldn't really cover in the main video, but are super important. Yeah, so something like random adjustment, right? It won't necessarily fit into the reflective cycle, but if you literally cannot think about what part of your gameplay you need to change or adapt, right? You've gone through the reflective cycle once or twice and you've said, I've gone through the entire cycle, but I can't really find something to change. I'm still not improving my gameplay and I'm trying to improve my gameplay, but I, I, I can't find something that I need to analyze and then change and then adapt or whatever. If you mm. find yourself in that kind of a scenario, best thing to do is essentially, it's a last resort, but better than nothing, you just basically adjust some random stuff. You look at your gameplay and start changing around uh, some, some random things. When I was in IGL, I used to have strategies that I was certain were going to work, but uh, they just didn't for some reason. And I couldn't really figure out why. When I uh, tried alternatives that I actually was pretty sure were worse, um, I'd never tried those things, but I, I was just certain they were a worse option. When I tried them, when I just played them for once, I got a better understanding of um, what that other strategy, that alternative strategy yeah. looked like. Because you, you can only get you can only get so far by analyzing something. Actually experiencing what it is to perform that play is ultimately the best way to understand that play. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, some things that you adjust uh, and you, you change some things, the new thing that you have now might be worse. Some of it might be better. Mm -hmm. You just need to experiment and find what works and what doesn't, right? And if you can't really think of anything to change specifically, just you just need to change some random stuff around, right? It's as simple as that. Yeah, this is really what helps me when I'm stuck and I just like, yeah, I'm certain I'm doing the uh, execution right, the goal is right, and the intention is right. Like, uh, this should be right, but it just isn't working. I randomly adjust something and, and sometimes I get the right answer. Sometimes um, I'll get a worse answer, but I keep looking. Exactly. At the very least, you'll be getting some feedback and you'll be yes. able to understand the, the situations a bit deep, more deeply. And speaking of being stuck, right? Another thing that is horrible uh, as a feeling, sometimes we're just in a rut, right? We're just in a plateau when we can't improve. We just can't get out of that rut. Some extreme cases, it's impossible to improve, it seems like, regardless of what trading methods we use. We've all experienced it and it's not fun, right? Sometimes, though, during ruts like this, the best thing you can do is to just take a break. Just take mm. a step back, right? Go away for a few days, go for a week or two. And in most cases, I mean, a lot of cases, when you come back, something yeah. will have just clicked. Something will have just changed, right? We've all experienced this where we've had a rut. We leave the game for a week or so. When we come back, something is just different and just something just feels right, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
like uh, it's not particularly a practice method but it is a way to fix some mistakes if, if yep. you are just burned out or if you're in a rut or a plateau taking a step back taking a short break do something else for a bit you come back and suddenly the mistake is fixed yeah it's um, like hitting a reset button on your brain right just yeah. turn it off and on again basically now we've covered those two things let's talk about when we apply the reflective cycles because exactly. this is a super interesting topic um that we couldn't really go into too much detail about in the main video so yeah the question might be in your mind right okay you've talked about the reflective cycle you've gone through every single step in detail but when do i actually do this do i do this after every single game do i do every after every single round do i do just once a week once a month like when do i do this and yeah that's basically what we're, we're going to cover now when i started doing the reflective cycle i started between gaming sessions uh, after the day when I was in bed uh, and I couldn't sleep, I would just reflect on what we played as in scrims, what we did in strategies, what I did personally, uh, my type of plays or whatever. And I started reflecting using really the big, going through every step super consciously. I really chose an action, reflected on it, and then tried to find an, an adaptation that fit it. Um, this is a, a, on a much bigger scale. I often reflected over... Uh, topics that i saw reoccurring like oh we pushed too early a bunch of times in that scrim uh or in both the scrims we played that night we were too aggressive those yeah. kinds of really big things uh but those are those uh, i started reflecting on the between game sessions but eventually when i did it a bunch of times I, I started reflecting between or after games immediately i played a game and i thought okay that game i played shit because of this that um i did a bunch of I, I found one big mistake that i made and immediately reflected upon it these reflections are a lot less detailed i would because yeah you don't have like an hour between uh sessions sorry between games to really reflect and take up on anything yeah. i would usually cover one or two aspects of the previous game i wouldn't go into every single round i wouldn't go into every single mistake i made uh, but i would choose like one or two and reflect on that while we were waiting in queue um and these adaptation phases that i would come up with are mainly focus on cognizant gameplay because i'm not going to go aim train between two maps between two games i'm just going to focus uh on the mistake i made in the next game so if i found myself my positioning was off in that last map let's focus on my positioning in this map right yeah i, I didn't go through the entire loop again i just went through a simplified loop yeah and, and i mean the reflective cycle though it might sound really grand and like like a massive thing that you do like you know after games or once a day or once a week or whatever doesn't need to be that detailed whenever you go through it mm -hmm. right you can also do the reflective cycle a basic form of it at least between rounds or like even within a round like after you die like quickly analyze okay what the what went wrong right there right that's basically what we were alluding to at the beginning of the, of the video right how a pro is able to like on the spot be able to come mm -hmm. up with like why did this go wrong why did that go wrong you can do a basic form of that as well right just do a basic form of the reflective cycle what happened what led to my death in this in this round what happened right before that why was i in that position uh, mm -hmm. and what could I have changed, right? What could I have done differently for that not to have happened? That's a very basic form of the reflective cycle that we can do in the middle of a round. One thing to note here is that when I taught the reflective cycle to a bunch of other players uh, that I was coaching, I found them forgetting the reflective cycle a lot. And that is all right. In the beginning, you're not going to be hyper-conscious of, oh, I need to reflect, I need to reflect, I need to reflect. You're playing the game. You want to focus on what you're going to do next round. You're you're um, celebrating the win you just got or a big clutch. Yep. You might not have the time between rounds to really reflect. What I would give them as tips is like, okay, sticky monitor on, on your, like, yeah, sticky notes on your monitor to remind yourself to reflect from time to time. If you reflect twice that game, perfect. Next game, we'll do it three times, right? And if you do it three times again, sure uh next day we can reflect four four rounds in a, in a game eventually 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 you'll start to do it every single round and even multiple times in a round 
Yeah, I think that's a really underrated uh, tactic to use, right? If there's something specific you want to keep in mind about rounds, uh, within rounds and between, between games or whatever, and you can't remember it for, for some reason, just place, placing a sticky note on your monitor, right? Just on the side of your monitor, or having a note next to you, right? A notepad. Mm-hmm. Just something to remind you in between games and between rounds and whatever can help huge, like hugely. Yeah. When we reflect within rounds or after rounds, the focus should be on the next round. You really should be reflecting, okay, what did I do wrong? Why did I die? How can I make sure that doesn't happen next round? Um, so we can prepare for the next round and just play less normal. We shouldn't go for the entire loop and make up uh, like, oh, I'm going to uh, aim practice 10 times yeah. a week on these days. No, just focus. Okay, next round, what am I doing differently? Exactly. Right. And like little adjustments here and there all the time, like consistently and frequently throughout games, like in a day, if you do that every single round and you play a few games a day, for example, that's already like you're going through it a few dozen times. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you do those little adjustments round by round by round by round, you will be gathering so much data over time that you'll start to say, OK, these adjustments work. These adjustments don't. Right. Just start little and you'll eventually be building up towards something great. Yeah. And then finally, the last when that we, we can talk about is predictive analysis. We touched upon this in the main video, um, but I don't think it was very obvious what we mean by this. Predictive analysis is a concept um, where researchers have found that if you start reflecting uh, a lot and you get really good at reflecting, your brain can start to reflect before even doing something. It will right. predict the outcome because it obviously doesn't know the perfect outcome, but you'll subconsciously be reflecting while doing an action. I mean, this is the cl- kind of the classical example of a uh, of classical conditioning, right? If, for example, a child is scared of the uh, dentist, the reason that is is because they've associated the sound of the drill in the dentist with pain, right? So, the first few times they went to the dentist, it might have been they experienced something brand new. They get the drill, the sound of the drill, then that's followed up by pain. Now they associate the drill with the pain. So now you don't even need the pain for the drill sound to be associated with the pain, right? Now, mm-hmm. from now on, just the sound of the dentist or the sound of the pain of, of the drill, yeah. will you'll be associating with pain. You can kind of do that with your gameplay. If you go through the reflective cycle so much that certain scenarios you're constantly uh, going through with like the reflective cycle again and again and again, in the future, you won't need to go through the reflective cycle again to come up with a decision on what you need to do but rather it'll be predictive. You'll be able to say, I found myself in a situation like this before, this is what I should be doing. You'll be predicting essentially what the outcome is going to be. One way this manifests itself is into like an unconscious, uneasy feeling when holding an angle. I found myself holding certain angles um, and my brain would, without me really consciously realizing what it was, I'd have this uneasy feeling saying, oh, Vic, you should, should not be holding this or Vic, you should be doing something else. Yeah, I think we've all felt that where like we're doing a specific thing, but we kind of have that sort of feeling in the pit of our stomachs of, oh, I think I'm doing something yeah. wrong, right? And this this feeling just gets better and uh, more common when we reflect a lot. So the more exactly. you reflect, the better this gets. The last thing to cover about the reflective cycle is iterations. We kind of uh, mentioned this before, but going through the reflective cycle once won't make a huge difference. You have to go through it time and time and time again especially for the reminders, but also for aim mistakes or execution mistakes. You will find a mistake, an execution mistake, try and solve it, and you'll probably run into it again and again and again. That's fine. You just need to keep doing it, keep reflecting, keep reminding yourself to fix it, and eventually you will get around to doing it, or your brain will internalize the correct play 
so we can do it next time when we're in the situation. Exactly. Yeah. Don't have the the sort of uh, the wrong perception of the reflective cycle. It's not going to make you a pro overnight, right? Just going through mm-hmm. it once is not suddenly going to make you a thousand times better. It's something that you need to keep at and keep doing again and again and again and again so that you can actually improve. Okay. So we've gone over a lot of things in the reflective cycle now. Let's go over some practical tips that can help make this entire process a little bit easier for you. First thing that you can do, which might sound like a lot, but just hear me out here, is making a spreadsheet, right? Having a spreadsheet of your mistakes after every single game, right? Just putting down just a couple data points every now and then Mm -hmm. saying, okay, this game I made a mistake with aim, or this game my biggest mistake was, for example, positioning, positioning, right? This, uh, This game my main mistake was I leaned too far out during my wide swing. Having a, a sort of, a, a, at the very least, some data points to be able to look at uh, weeks from now and be able to see improvement, deterioration, or some sort of plateau will be enabling you to actually analyze these things better. You'll be able to see what things you need to improve, what things have improved, mm-hmm. what things haven't improved, what things have deteriorated, and so on. I found that I sometimes didn't realize how common uh, certain mistakes I was making were before. Uh, putting them into a spreadsheet. Exactly. But the moment I did that, I saw like, oh my God, I'm actually doing this almost every single game. Yeah. Uh, so I really, really, really need to get around to fixing this. Yeah, it doesn't need to be a spreadsheet per se. It can just be a notebook you have on, on you know, next yeah. to you, uh, next to your keyboard that you just put a little tick in or whatever, a symbol in or for my aim was off, my positioning was off, whatever it might be. Just having some data points is very important. Next up, when I was teaching this to other players I was coaching, um, I always gave him a tip to just focus on the biggest mistake I made this game. Uh, that is such an easy way to get into the habit of reflecting every game. If that's an easy one, you always have a biggest mistake, right? Even when you play really well, you'll you'll still have a biggest mistake because nobody plays flawless the entire game. Do it once a game and you'll get into the habit of reflecting every game. Now, remember that the reflective cycle isn't the only model for improvement, right? I mean, we made the reflective cycle for a sort of esports tailored audience, Mm -hmm. but there are many other models out there. Like for example, we'll be linking these in the description if you want to learn more about them, but one of the models, for example, the David Kolb four stage model takes your feeling, your watching, your thinking and doing as stages, right? The Gibbs reflective cycle uh, takes description, feeling, evaluation, analysis, conclusion, adaptation, right? You can see some similarities between the reflective cycle that we gave and some of these that other people have made, but essentially, there are other forms of uh, other models out there as well. Yeah, one thing that you might learn in university or in college is um, the design uh, cycle, where you design something, you implement it, you test it, and you um, evaluate it, and then you uh, adapt your design, and then you implement it again, test it again, evaluate, right? It's the same sort of principle. It's just a way to make feedback very obvious and to reflect on purpose, um uh, to speed up our progress to speed up our design to speed up uh, in this case learning skills in game exactly and i mean the more data points you have the more inputs you have into the reflective cycle the more sort of a feedback loop you're going to be getting right you have an input which is here's the thing i want to analyze then you get an output which is the result the conclusion that you get this is what's going to solve that mistake you put that as a new input once you've changed your gameplay and now you have essentially a cycle that keeps going and going and going and it's a feedback loop essentially yeah uh the biggest tip i want to give you here is that you should find a model that works for you we gave you three steps action uh, reflection adaptation if you want to include more steps or you want to take the reflection step instead of having those three pillars that we talk about uh spread them out and make it into yeah. five that's all fine just yeah, find just a do what system works for you. 
that works for you exactly tailor this it's, it's it's yours now do with it what you want to give you one last thing to help you out uh, we've made a flowchart that you can download right now as a wallpaper or just to have as a file on your desktop to go through the reflective cycle whenever you need to if you want the, to download this wallpaper you can find it in the description below and uh yeah that's pretty much it yeah, I think that's all we wanted to cover about the reflective cycle. I think we um, went really in-depth. Um, there's obviously some other things that we could have maybe uh, delved into a little bit more, and we'll do that in the next episode. So yeah, if there's anything in particular, those. exactly, if there's anything in particular that we mentioned here that you want to learn more about or hear more about, let us know in the comments, and yeah, we will. And stay tuned for more of these uh, mini-podcasts that we do. Thank you very much for watching, and see you next time. Thanks very much. See you later.